podcast listener. Even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Happy Thursday morning. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, little travel segment at the top. I'm in New York City on the 20th floor of an amazing hotel in Soho. I'm paying 150 bucks a night. What an amazing time to be in New York. It's opening up. The vibe is good, but there's not that many people here, so you can kind of do everything. It's pretty low stress. So there you go. Some travel content. Hopefully a lot more of that coming down the pike. We know we've been looking at starting to fire events back up this week internally. And so it does look like in, in 2021, we're going to have some events for listeners of this pod. So looking forward to that. Speaking of travel, like looking out at this skyline, this amazing city, it really inspires me to think bigger. And that's one of the themes of this year for us. You know, Ian and I want to push our comfort zones. We want to learn from people who are building bigger businesses as we aspire to do that ourselves. So today's guest is part of that vision. One of the things that's evolved over the years since we've been doing the pod is sort of like the on-ramps into entrepreneurship, how you can get into it. And often we talk about on this show, sort of cracking open a laptop, leveraging your skills and experience, and building a business from scratch. But there's also an enormous opportunity to get a head start by buying a business and especially using debt to do so. And today, I'm going to speak with someone who is expert at that. When I was super active, like last year, probably looked at let's say a thousand deals and out of the thousand deals i sent questions or got on a call with the seller on a hundred of them if i like the business on 30 of them i will do a follow-up call out of the 30 i'll probably place lois on 15 of them and out of the 15 maybe three or four get accepted and majority of them I'll typically close on. So I do look at a lot of businesses. That's Shaquille Prosler, who through his own company, scventures.com, has been buying online businesses for nearly a decade. SC Ventures now has a team of around 80 who run niche e-commerce companies that have products ranging from like cool metal business cards to his most recent acquisition, gloves.com. Like what an amazing time to get into medical grade hand coverings. Now Shaquille's names come up many, many times over the years. He's attended our events and shared his ideas with our community because he is really, really creative with using leverage in, in so many different ways to buy over 15 businesses over the years. And when I say leverage, I'm not just talking about money, but also psychology too. So as you'll hear, Shaquille has learned what it takes to close deals with owners who, in today's market, are getting a ton of offers to sell. We'll also touch on different forms of debt financing like government loans, bank lending, and seller financing, all from someone who has walked these paths many times. Two thousand twelve was when I first started my online business, and it was after I got my MBA. I wanted to sell things online. I just didn't know how to. So then I packed my bags and I went to the Canton Fair. And I just walked down the aisles just looking at widgets and gadgets and things people are selling. And I had no understanding of what 
you know, MOQ was or what FOB was, I just heard people saying it. So I was just minimum order quantity freight on board. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I didn't even know what I was getting myself into. I just, well, you must've been so excited though, to be in China, like walking around. That sounds amazing. Oh, it was great. I, I just stayed there for two weeks. I decided to import something that's really small and could have high margins, and it was jewelry. And came back to the USA, and I went to a website called Odesk, which is Upwork now, and I just started hiring outsourced employees. Except the problem was I still didn't know what I was doing, and it was really challenging. After the next year, I I was barely making any money. And so then in 2013, I sort of went on Google And I typed in, what jobs do online business owners have? So this is 2013. So just for context, like you're in debt at this point. Oh, yeah. And now you're you're sitting in a beautifully large home with 80 employees. So just to give a sense for these things can happen quite fast. Yeah. It's a long time in how it feels. But in the scope of a life, when you're looking back from your deathbed, it's not actually very long to completely transform your life. It's been a struggle. It hasn't came easy. And we've had some bad purchases and bad employees and lost a lot of money. And those are sort of war stories that you learn from and you become more careful. And you, you end up actually becoming more risk averse. Like if I look back at what I was doing, it's kind of crazy what I was doing. The number one risk I see in people when they buy online businesses is there's a knowledge gap. And what I mean by that is people buy a business, but they end up buying a full-time job because they don't understand the business. And that was me in 2013. It was luckily the first deal worked out, but I learned a lot from that first deal where I wanted to make sure that I at least bring a unique skill set. And so every deal I've bought, I've always bought a business where the past owner was lacking something that I could provide. Now, I'll give you real-life examples. One of the businesses I bought, the owner was only working 10 hours a week. He was a golfer. So during the weekday, he would miss his customer calls. He would let it go to voicemail, and he lost a lot of sales. And I learned that by asking him, you know, hey, Tom, what are two things you would try to do but you haven't been able to get the time to do or or what could a new owner do to increase sales and and that's where i was able to learn that look i just miss most of my calls i call them after hours and they typically have moved on and so i said all right i'm gonna buy the business and all i did was i hired someone for the philippines to answer the call from 9 a.m to 5 p.m paid them 500 dollars a month and i was able to increase sales in the first three months by 40%. And there's a lot of opportunities just like that. One of my most profitable businesses I've bought to this date, and I clearly remember this uh, seller's response, and I told him, you are growing really quickly. Why did you pause your paid ads? They're performing really well. And he told me, Shaquille, I don't wanna have a big company. I don't wanna hire employees. I have two employees. That's good enough for me. I paused the ads because it was just becoming too stressful for me. These little opportunities, I'm not doing anything unique or ordinary. It's just finding these little voids that a lot of businesses have. 
entrepreneurs, we just get burnt out. We keep doing the same thing over and over again. We have this software that we don't use, but we just keep paying for it. We have this growth strategy. We see it, but we don't want to learn the skill set to do it. We just get comfortable. And so a lot of these businesses I ended up buying was based off that. How did you go from being a broke MBA student with some jewelry from the Canton Fair that wasn't selling to acquiring an online business? Took a lot of risk. My first acquisition, I ended up going to a credit union. And I think my interest rate from there was 12 or 15% a year. I just told them, look, I'll personal guarantee it. I'm looking to buy a business. And that's how I was able to get the first $50,000 was uh, through a credit union. Luckily, I was able to make that work is 12% a year. But the business, again, I, I bought it at a close to a 2x multiple, was generating enough money to where it would pay back in two years. Now, Dan, if I had failed on a business, I don't know what I would be doing. I don't know if I'd keep buying online businesses because the first one had to work out for me to be where I am at this point. I've used a lot of different financing options to get to where I am. You had the jewelry store, so you like knew about the opportunity, but was it the frustration of knowing how long it would take you to get that to scale that inspired you to get financing instead? Yeah, so what really triggered from starting versus buying was that whole year I struggled with getting revenue from $0 to $100 a month to $1,000 a month, finding the marketplaces, finding the marketing solutions. And when I started looking at buying businesses, it was really just buying a business in a box. It came with all these strategies. It came with all these failures. It came with all these relationships. That's what the real value was you could start making money from day one versus day 365. You go down the credit union and you take a $50,000 loan. And what was that first business you bought? MrCold.com. Beverage coolers. You know when you get hurt, you put on an ice pack? This was koozies that were wrapped in that ice pack. So you throw in the freezer, you take it out, put a beer in there. It keeps your beer cold for four hours. So if you're floating down the river in Austin, keep a, a, a beer in there or soda in there. It'll keep it cold for several hours. The seller was a teacher. She was a former teacher. She wanted to go back being a teacher. And it was making close to, I think, twenty nine, thirty $30,000 a year. They were just doing it on their website and all I did was two things. I, I sold them on eBay and I sold them on Amazon. I just added a, a, a different revenue channel and I was able to make my money back very quickly. Now, a lot of people, Shaquille, fantasize or even try the concept of buying businesses with the sense that they're tinkering with that business will indeed improve it. But often it hurts it or doesn't help at all. Having tinkered now or deployed capital and strategies across a broad portfolio of businesses, do you have some sense for what works and what doesn't in terms of having an impact on that business? Yeah, you bring up a good point, Dan. COVID has kind of forced a lot of people to relook at their careers. And so I've seen a lot of people try to go buy businesses this year. And the number one mistake 
I do see people making is they're buying it just for the cash flows and assuming that it can become passive. And that's far from the truth. If you look at any business summary or prospectus, it may state and it may even understate what the seller's time is in a business a week. A lot of them say the owner's only working 20 hours a week and making $200,000 a year. And to anyone that's never bought a business, they're like, wow, that is amazing. The only thing about that is the owner was able to only work 20 hours a week because they built the business. They were able to build those relationships up and they're able to make decisions quicker based off what they know about the industry. For someone like me or you, Dan, who, who goes into the business, we're not able to make those decisions quickly. You have to learn, and, and that comes from years of owning the business. So I think the number one mistake I see people making is they think it can become passive, and number two is they think they could add value to the business. I really think with people buying businesses, it, it, and it's okay, go buy a business, but start small. See where you could provide value. And it could be anything. It could be cutting costs. It could be outsourcing. It could be making things more efficient. It could be if you're good at Facebook ads, Google ads, if you're a good content writer, if you're a designer, add your skill set into the business, but find that void first. Wow, check out this sponsor story. Today's sponsor is Ecom CFO. And if the voice coming up sounds familiar, it's because Ecom CFO's founder, Sam Hill, was recently a guest. And he got such a great response from you guys that he wanted to support us and hopefully help more of you out. We set a goal to grow 10 new clients this year. And the reality is when I came on the show, we received about five to seven leads from the show for our business. Two of those leads are now our clients and they're wonderful clients. And we've already provided, I would say three to five X our annual fee already in the first 30 to 60 days working with them. Is it a flat fee? It's one flat rate depending on the services that you want. So we offer a CFO service. So if you love your bookkeeper, if you love the person paying your bills and doing all your back office stuff, and you just want us to fill that CFO void, great, we'll do that for one flat rate. If you don't like your bookkeeper, if you've never had a bookkeeper before, and you want us to close the books and prepare the financial statements, we'll absolutely do that. And the third option is bill pay. So it's the three services, CFO, bookkeeping, and bill pay. Or, of course, we'll wrap that all into one and save you a little bit of money for doing all three. So if you want to learn more, check out ecomcfo.co. And a huge thanks to Sam for sponsoring the show. Let's just go back on your timeline just a little bit. We're at 2013, 2014 timeframe. You're taking the $50,000 loan. You're having someone in the Philippines pick up the phone, increase sales by 40%. Was there a moment that you could take us to when you were like, man, this is going to work? Yeah. The uh, first company I bought, I, I was able to pay off the loan, which was basically get my money back by month six. So not even two years by, by month six. And at that point, I realized I'm onto something. I could keep doing this. I could make these small purchases 
and maybe scale up and learn all kinds of different models. And so that's when I realized I could keep doing this over and over again. But it's hard to take just $50,000 and turn it into generational wealth. So at what point did you start experimenting with different financing options? It was probably my fourth acquisition. The first one was a credit loan. The second one was cash. And the third one was seller financing, actually. It was because I wanted to keep getting larger acquisitions in. And once you get to even like the low six figures, as a business owner, a lot of your cash is going to be ended up tying into the business itself, whether it's inventory based or whether it's your expenses. And so I knew I, I didn't have that much money saved up, but I knew there was ways to get financing done, whether it's a bank loan, whether it's a seller financing, whether it's an SBA, whether it's a performance earnout, And I just started reading up on different financing options and just pitching it to sellers. The number one thing I've learned is, you know, let's just say, Dan, you're selling a business and you have two buyers, me that's asking you for seller financing or someone on the flip side that's willing to give you a cash deal. All things just being equal, you most likely will just pick a cash deal that gives you money up front. Why the hell would you give me seller financing? And so one thing I've learned is sellers have different motives. Things that I do is I try to build a good rapport with the seller, build trust. And I do that by you know telling them that thank you for allowing me to look into your business, to your secrets, to your business plan. I know it's not easy sharing these sensitive details. I will keep this to myself and I want to grow your business. I want to grow the legacy that you have created. And these are the skill sets I bring. You should give me seller financing because I have a track record of growing businesses. You can trust me because I will hold this business as collateral. So if I default, you take the business back. I'll give you weekly updates and you could tell me yes or no. A lot of sellers like to be involved in the business still. It's really hard for someone to just turn it off, sell it and get rid of it. So I tell them, happy to keep you involved as well. You know, what's interesting, I just interrupt. And as you talk to me like a human being and like an entrepreneur to entrepreneur, and it's interesting, like, that's very competitive. Like, I've sold three businesses thinking about all the offers and like the buyers that I've spoken with. That would be pretty compelling for me to hear someone like you speak to me like that. Because, you know, you're solving a lot of my problem, which is like, well, I don't need all the money right now. What I need is to like get this business off of my plate. The problem set that sellers are trying to solve is often like so complex. And by like becoming a trusted person to speak with about that, that's not really what you're hearing from most buyers. Yeah, that's what it comes down to is how do you how do you differentiate yourself? When you sold your three businesses, and I've sold businesses too, it's it's really hard to share these details where a competitor could come in, steal your ideas, do this and that. Your guard is down. You want to make sure that the seller feels comfortable with you. And just telling them what benefits you bring. For seller financing, I'm happy to give you 8% a year. So instead of your $100,000 being at the bank getting less than a percent, why don't you make a, a bit more money? Maybe there's some capital gains tax that you can defer 
based off the structure that we do so you don't have to pay all the taxes up front. You end up being a little more creative, but you, you're only able to get there once you're able to have this kind of talk with the seller, understand what their needs are too. Shaquille, have you made an eight-figure acquisition yet? Gloves.com is pretty close to that, yeah. Okay. With the inventory. It seems to be like there's different like strategies and tactics at different levels. And I don't know if you've seen some of those gradations in your career, but one of the things I was thinking of as you were talking about these strategies is like sub eight figures, it seems, and I'm sure beyond too, but there tends to be a so much ego involved on both sides of these deals because like the amount of money is like really significant for a person, not like a company organization, a board of directors or whatever. This is a person's life work. This is like a big portion of their net worth. And so I found that like a lot of buyers were like thinking they were doing us favors and treating us tough guy stuff. And same on our side, like we would get really emotional when people would like critique what we were doing. You know what I mean? It was like, it's a big deal. And so a lot of what you're saying, like seems to minister to that idea of, you know, if you can tap into the person behind the deal, you differentiate yourself a great deal. You make a good point. There's different ways on how you want to even go about a business. If you're going to critique a business, don't come and say, Dan, your business is declining. Why the hell did you not put in the time? You know, there's different ways to say things. So is, you know, I understand that you were uh, not able to put in the time for the business. Do you think that's the reason the business declined? Would you have done anything else to stop it from declining? But you're able to bring a lower offer by poking holes in the business. And if you just flat out say your business sucks because of A, B, and C, the seller's not going to like you. But if you structure it in a way and say that these are a little bit of risks I do see in the business, but here's kind of where I think I can lower the liability. Depending on how you frame it, the seller could have a different viewpoint on you. And if it's a good business, they're probably talking to a bunch of buyers. And a lot of times, like I said, someone wants to sell a business because they are either bored of it, they see a new opportunity, or they're just burnt out, right? But if you come in and and are able to just show your skill sets or, or provide a business plan, a seller might say, hey, you know what? You're a smart person. I'd like to keep 20% of it and you know at least take majority of my wealth off the plate but I want to enjoy the upside. In return, I'm happy to give you some kind of seller financing. So it becomes a win-win for for both parties. And that's where a good deal comes in. It feels like that kind of structure is becoming increasingly possible as there's like more legibility around these assets. Certainly that option wasn't even on the table when we exited our last business. But in retrospect, something I'd be very interested in because it solves my problems and keeps me motivated to be more in that like ownership advisory chairperson role rather than the actual entrepreneur with my 100% of my personal net worth locked up in the business. Yeah, the daily grind is real. You get tired of it. You know, one thing you did bring up is sort of these internet assets. There are non-tangible assets, you know. In 2013, 2014, it was really hard for any banks to even give loans to these things. You mean by that, like the bank can't go out and seize your Amazon account like effectively? They don't have like staff on board to do that kind of thing. Yeah, that, that's essentially what it is versus a real property where if you don't pay your bills, then they could take over the, the property itself. But now 
because the buy and sell of internet businesses is becoming more mature, a lot of banks, a lot of private investors, a lot of funds are putting in a lot of money in this online ecosystem to purchase online businesses. Like now is a great time to buy online business. Well, let's talk about that because one of the reasons I wanted to call you up is your use of the SBA system here in America. Our business was bought with an SBA loan, for example. I'm curious if you could describe that system, how you use it, and a little bit about what the opportunities might be for listeners. Yeah, so an SBA loan is given by a bank, but it's most of the loan is backed by the U.S. government. And so if you default, the bank could get the credit back from the government. Obviously, they'll, they'll still go after you. But the terms are great. So it, it can be as low as 10 to 15% down. So if you're buying a million-dollar business, it's only $100,000 down. And it's over 10 years. And the interest rates are prime plus 2.75%. So in today's rate, I think that's 6.25%, which is still cheap. And I always just look at what multiple you're buying it for. If you're buying a 4x multiple, that's 25% ROI, and you're borrowing at 6%, right? So there's that margin that's profit for you. What you just described to me is basically like a deal term that is like better than a mortgage 15 years ago. But for a small business, why haven't I dropped my microphone and just ran out my front door right now down to my local bank to get an SBA loan? Why isn't everybody talking about this? It does take a while to close. It does take up to 120 days to close. You do have to get insurance uh, and other type of liability insurances. So if anything happens to you, the beneficiary is the bank. And so they get the million dollars. That's their way of hedging kind of the risk and giving me the loan. The question you ask is, why isn't everyone doing this? And the thing about right now is it's it's just a buyer's market. There's a lot of people wanting to buy businesses. There's a lot of people cashing out their 401ks, doing cash purchases. And so people are just going for the cash buyers. That's the downfall of it. SBA loan does take a while to close. And and so imagine you sitting in due diligence for 120 days versus 15 days. Sellers see that and and that's why they they prefer not to deal with an SBA buyer unless, you know, again, you sell yourselves. But there is one way around that. And that's where these off-market deals come. You can make postings in different forums. You could let your Facebook friends know you could let accountants know who are people that every business is talked to. It's accountants. Tell many accountants in your area or in the state that, hey, I'm looking to buy a business. If any of your clients ever mentioned selling their online business, tell them to talk to me. You had some swagger with that one. You could be like, tell them about me. <laughs> Don't let them go. <laughs> Probably in a more... <laughs> Probably more in a in a less aggressive tone. You know, let's say you're in the pet, you love pets. Look up pet supplements and go down Google or, or look it up on Amazon and reach out to everybody. One out of 100 may respond, but that's where kind of the numbers come into play. So you just have to keep reaching out to people and build up your offline market uh, pipeline to where 
you and the the seller are only talking to each other. There's no one else out there, and you have a better chance of getting that SBA loan, which, you know, as you said, the terms are really, really good. It sounds like, Shaquille, over the years and with your portfolio, you started out with a more operational focus, like, I got to get somebody to pick up the phones, I'm going to do an SEO campaign or whatever. And like, as your portfolio has grown, you've gotten more financially focused. You're absolutely correct in that assessment. The first few businesses, I was more in the weeds on the ground doing the customer service. I was doing the pick and packing. I was running the campaigns. I was learning as much as I could. There came a point where you're making enough money and you start looking at, if I'm working 60 hours a week, how do I shave off 10 hours of it and pay somebody else to do this task? Okay, now how do I shave off half the time? It progressed towards making enough money, but using some of that cash flow to pay somebody to do these tasks for me. And now I could keep focusing on acquisitions. And I think I learned that probably in my fourth acquisition is how do I hire a CEO or a manager or even bring on a partner to run the business for me and I could just give my high-level guidance, build a good team in place, come up with goals, and now let the engine run itself. And how do I keep repeating this? And that's what I was super obsessed with that is I don't want to work four hours a week. I want to work four hours a business a week. And then so how did you come about coming up with the idea the SBA loans had been working so well for you? Why then go and raise capital for the acquisition of gloves.com? SBA has a maximum loan amount they could give you, which is $5 million. I already maxed that out. I would love to just keep doing it more and more. But There came a point that a lot of people kind of talk about how much revenue they're making and how much money they're making. And I caught myself bragging about how much debt I'm holding. And someone like looked at me, they're like, wait a minute, you you don't have trouble sleeping at night? I'm like, no. And it's because I sort of grew up in this uh, environment where even my dad was just taking a lot of debt to, to run his businesses and stuff. And so for me, It wasn't foreign, but it came to a point where I was personal guaranteeing a lot. Like I became over leveraged. And so I had to look at sort of alternative solutions where I could take advantage of of the market. And and today's market is where a lot of VCs, P groups, fund managers are wanting to throw money into acquisitions of online businesses because there is potential for a larger exit based off these kind of mini purchases. So how did you go about formulating that value proposition then to these investors? I reached out to a lot of people that have raised money, investment bankers, just anyone that's ever talked about raising money. And I wanted to understand what it is that investors may want. Is it debt financing? Is it equity is it a larger exit? Is there a sort of a social enterprise that they want to be involved in? And w- with gloves, it's it's for me, it was a lot about just making people healthier. It's the pandemic. How do we get gloves access to people? We were able to uh, bring on a couple investors that saw the vision of us 
making this into an eight to nine figure revenue business by showing them the the plan that we had for the future, the track record that me and my partners brought about buying online businesses and growing it. That really helped was was the track record. Keep in mind, like throughout this whole journey, it's it's just a learning process. Every day is just a learning process. And for me it was first time raising money from outside investors. And that's the good thing about having a good network is just reach out to your friends, someone that's done that before, post on LinkedIn that you're trying to raise money. Does anybody have time that they could give to you in, in return for advice about buying companies? And that's what I did. Ask people who the hell has money that they could give to me and through that network I was able to raise money. Shakir, when you started this off, I mean obviously you're in the process of creating an incredible success. I mean, did you set out with that vision of I'm going to go big here? Or was it something that you sort of continued to fall uphill into, so to speak? It continued to adapt. I remember in 2013, my goal was to make 60 grand a year. And then I got married and I realized expenses are a bit more. And then you sort of have these wants and then you have kids and your expenses go higher. <laughs> it's sort of weird. I, I wanted to make a lot of money to where I'm content, to I'm willing to sacrifice for time back. And that's where I am today. It is You go through all these war stories, you go through all the stress, and you sort of want to just settle down and make enough money, but also give time to whether it's volunteering or talking to cool people like you, Dan, or, or giving you know time to your family or community. It has shifted quite a bit, and that's where I am today, is how do I become more content and still make enough money? Big shout out to today's guest, Shaquille Prosser, founder of SZVentures.com, talking about how he has achieved what this show is all about. More freedom in your life at your own terms. Absolutely enjoyed this one. If you found interesting ways to leverage buying business in this bullish market, we'd love to hear from you. There's absolutely so many opportunities out there, and we're going to continue to explore them on this show. Before we go, shout out to our sponsor, EcomCFO.co. We appreciate them bringing this episode to you. So I got to get to the zoo. That's it. We'll be back next Thursday as usual. See you then. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.